Okay, I think I'm near ready. Jesus Christ has always been triumphant. He is triumphant. He always will be triumphant. Even though on Good Friday he may not have looked very triumphant, there is no doubt he was actually being the most triumphant of all. And look at him on Easter Sunday morning, rising from the dead, coming out of the tomb, arrayed in white, triumphant and forevermore victorious. And so we are absolutely certain that he is the one who can cause you to always triumph from this day forward. The title of today's sermon is The Circumstances of Life Never Change the Certainty of the Word of God. And I'd like to talk to you just very briefly today about that first Easter when it seemed like the circumstances were far more hopeless than they are today. Christ was dead. To the ancient disciples, I'm sure that it seemed evil had won and hope was lost forever. What would become of the church that Jesus Christ had promised to build? What would become of the kingdom he had promised to come? And what would happen to those mansions he had said would be prepared for those disciples? Oh yes, the circumstances of life on that first Easter must have looked so hopeless. And yet we are assured that the certain circumstances of life can never change the certainty of the word of God. God had promised to save the world. He had promised to destroy the evil one. And nothing, not the death of his son, not the power of the Roman Empire, not the devil himself was going to keep the Lord from performing all of his promises. And on that first Easter Sunday, the word of God changed the circumstances of life. See, that's how it happens. The circumstances of life don't change the word of God. But the word of God has the power to change the circumstances of your life today. And so I'd like to bring you a message today entitled The Certainty of the Resurrection. Resurrection, of course, means to be raised from the dead. It's a miracle, an extraordinary work of God. And in Acts chapter 17 in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul spoke about resurrection, it says that some believed, some mocked, and some weren't quite so sure what to think. And they said... We'll hear thee again on this matter. Well, one would suspect that the same three groups of people exist today. Probably some of you believe very strongly in resurrection. Others probably don't believe in it at all. And surely there's some who aren't quite sure what to believe. Is there life after death? 
Well, I hope that the Holy Spirit will give me the clarity today from the Word of God to convince every one of you of the certainty of resurrection. Now, we're going to go actually to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today, which if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, you might know that the 13th chapter is entitled oftentimes the love chapter because it has so much to say about charity or love. The 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians we could easily call the resurrection chapter or to rhyme it a little better, the resurrection section because 1 Corinthians 15 has so much to say about the doctrine of the resurrection. So let me read a few verses and then I have two questions that will be answered very clearly from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll read from verses 20 to 26. Here's what we read. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father, when he has put an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign. Till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. That's just a few verses from the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there are a number of answers to all of the questions that you have concerning resurrection. But let's deal with just two questions today. Number one, is resurrection real? And number two... What is resurrection like? We'll actually divide the chapter in two to answer those questions from verses 1 to 34. We'll answer the question, or Paul will answer the question, or even better, the Holy Spirit will answer the question. Is resurrection real? Verses 1 to 34. And then once you come to verse 35 and following, we'll answer the question, what is resurrection like? What will it be like to be raised from the dead? Number one, is resurrection real? Yes, resurrection is real, and we know it's real because it happened in the past. This chapter begins with Paul outlining the simple good news or the gospel message. And he says in the opening verses of 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel has at least three elements. And they are this, I delivered to you, verse 3 says, first of all, that which also I received. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So there we have the Apostle Paul saying that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have ample evidence throughout the scripture that Jesus Christ died. He didn't seem to die. He didn't almost die. He didn't come this close to death. He didn't fake his death. He actually died. And we have here in 1 Corinthians, we have the testimony of the scriptures. It says, according to the scriptures. And more than that, you'll see here that we have in the scriptures the testimony of the soldiers 
who were there when Jesus Christ died. We have the testimony of Joseph of Arimathea, who took Christ down from the cross, and we certainly have the testimony of Christ himself. I mean, who better to tell us if he actually died or not than Jesus Christ? And he testified to John in Revelation when he appeared to him. He said, I am he who was dead and now lives forevermore. So yes, Jesus Christ was dead. And yes, we have ample evidence as well that he rose again from the dead. Here we have the testimony of scriptures. He rose again according to the scriptures. And we also have the evidence of the apostles. Because it says that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. And then it says in verse 6 that he appeared to 500 others who are witnesses of the resurrection. And then, of course, Paul says in verse 7, he was also seen by me. So we have ample evidence of both the death, burial, and, of course, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is the resurrection real? Yes, it's real. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, went into the ground and came out triumphant and victorious over death. No one else has ever done that. No religious leader, no political leader, no sports figure, no celebrity, no one else has ever gone into the ground and come out again to live forevermore. Some have been raised from the dead. Lazarus is a great example in the Gospels of a person who was raised from the dead, but he died again later on. Jesus Christ is the only one to come out and to live, never to die again. Now, one day in the future, the Antichrist is going to pretend to die and rise again. Revelation 13 says that he will deceive many who will follow him, but he'll just be pretending. Jesus Christ is the only person in all of the history of the universe to be dead, buried, and rise again to live forevermore. And that's why we worship him and follow him. That's why we put all of our trust and faith in him. And why he has such beautiful names. Like, for example, in Revelation 22, verse 16, he's called the bright and morning star. The way that the morning star comes out of the darkness of night, so he came out of death. And another great title for Christ is in Isaiah 60, verses 19 and 20. He's there called the everlasting light. Have you ever seen somebody with a candle and they try to snuff it out with their fingers? And sometimes they don't quite get it and the flame comes back and they try to snuff it again and the flame comes back. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ isn't going anywhere. He's alive forevermore, the everlasting light. And a great phrase that's used in Revelation 1 verse 5, the first begotten or the firstborn from the dead. The way that a little child comes out of the womb of his or her mother, Jesus Christ came out of the cold dead earth. And he's alive. And I love the fact that Revelation 1, 5 says he's the first begotten from the dead. In John 3, 16, he's the only begotten son. But in Revelation 1, verse 5, he's the first begotten from the dead. That means he's not the only one that's going to rise from the dead. He's the first to rise and never die again. But he's not the only one. There's going to be many, many more. So is revelation is resurrection real yes it's real and we know because it's happened in the past and it's going to happen again in the future we know it's real because it's going to happen in the future listen to what first corinthians 15 verse 20 says 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Now Christ is risen from the dead. That's past. Has become the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. Revelation uses the phrase the first begotten. Here Paul uses the phrase the first fruits, echoing back to those Old Testament offerings that the Jewish people would bring. It's outlined for us in Leviticus chapter 23, where they would see maybe the very first cluster of grapes or the very first few olives coming out on the branches in the springtime. And they would take those first fruits and they would offer them at the tabernacle or the temple to God giving him the best and the first, but knowing that when they went back to their farms or their vineyards, in a very short amount of time, much more fruit would come bursting forth. That was the first, but it was not the only. And Jesus Christ is the first to rise, but he's not the only one. And this passage that I've just read in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us when the future resurrection is going to take place. Listen to what it says as as an example in verse number 23. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. Each one after his order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. So is resurrection real? Oh yes, it happened in the past. It's going to happen again at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's it going to be like? If it's real, and since it's real, what is resurrection going to be like Paul moves into the second half of the chapter, say from about verse 35 on. And this is going to interest all of you because you're going to get a really good understanding here from Paul of what it's going to be like to be raised from the dead. And he starts, if we could go down, for example, into verse 35, he says this, Some will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And he's going to outline here a great deal to answer a number of your questions about resurrection. He's going to say, what is it going to be like? Here's one of the things that he points out. He says, your body that's going to come out of the ground is going to be the essence of the old body, but it's not going to be exactly like the body that you have right now. And for evidence of this, he takes us out to the farmer's field in verse 36 See how he says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain. He's taking us out to the farmer's field, and each spring we see the farmer put his seeds into the cold, dark earth, and that seed dies and decays. But it's not the end of the seed. In a very short amount of time, bursting forth from that cold, dark earth, will come something much more glorious than that old seed. It will be the same in its its essence, but it won't be exactly the same. And for me, that's great news because I want a new body, but I don't want this exact body back. And don't let it frighten you, the idea of getting a new body or a, a different body. In fact, Paul takes us here, if you continue down through the passage, he takes us out into the woods, and he takes us, for example, in verse 39, he says, just look at all the animals, the fish and the birds. And he takes us out to the woods, and he says, look at all the different bodies. Even on this earth, God has created much more than just the body that I have here. Look, look out in the woods, some have scales, and some have wings, and some have fur right up to their ears. 
And then he takes us out to look under the sky, uh, down in verse 40. He says, there's also celestial bodies. And he talks about the sun and the moon and the stars. And he's just helping us to understand that there's so many different types of bodies that God has created. He can easily, in the future, create a new body for you and a new body for me. And I'm so thankful that God has given us this hope that springing out of the cold earth one day will come a resurrected body. Now, he's going to give us more detail than that. Look down, say, in verse 40, where he talks about the different kinds of bodies. Notice that they're all suited for their environment. Some live in the woods, some live in the, in the water, some live in the air, some are way up in the sky. I had the privilege earlier this morning to go and prepare uh, and record a little Easter sunrise service. And there was this beautiful pond and the sun as it was coming up over the horizon reflected on on the beautiful pond and there were some ducks there and I was actually thinking it was about minus three degrees Celsius when I was out there and it was pretty cool. And I was thankful that I wasn't in that water like those ducks, but they didn't seem to mind it at all because their body is suited perfectly for the environment in which they live. And one day, you're going to have a new body, and that body will be perfectly suited for its environment. It will never need to eat. It will never need to sleep. And if it goes to heaven, it will need no tear ducts because there's no tears in heaven. He wipes away all of our tears. If it goes to hell, then yes, there'll be nothing but weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Second thing Paul tells us about our body here is that it will be protected from death. Listen to this in verse 42. Uh, So in the resurrection, the body sown in corruption is raised in incorruption. So we have a body that's perfectly suited to its environment and a body that's protected from death. No accidents, no disease, no falling down the stairs and hurting yourself, no putting out a hip, no cancer. Protected from all death. It's just going to live on and on and on forever. Now, listen, it gets better even. Look in verse number 43. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's going to be pretty magnificent. (laughs) This new body that we're going to get, I mean, you look at these bodies now and they're not much to look at. But you look at any Christian and you can say one day that face is going to shine like the sun. We, We get a glimpse of it when Christ was up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he pulled back his flesh as it were and showed us his glory and it was like looking into the sun and it says in the new jerusalem there won't even be any need for the sun because the son of god s-o-n will be the light of it and daniel assures us that we will be the same because in chapter 12 verse 3 of daniel he says they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and matthew he uh adds to it in the 13th chapter verse 43 saying this then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father 
just like Paul the Apostle on the road to Damascus, he was Saul of Tarsus at that point, but that sun shone and it was Jesus. And you can look in the face of any Christian and say, it may not be much to look at now, but one day it's going to be one of the most beautiful faces that you've ever seen. I mean, perfectly suited for its environment, protected from death, and pretty magnificent is what Paul says about this body we're going to get one day. Now, two more thoughts and we'll be done. In uh, verse 43, it, it adds this. It was sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. A powerful body capable of achieving all that we fail to do here. And of course, our greatest failures are in relationship to the Lord God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in the future, in our new body, we will have the power to truly serve him as his servants and actually obey all of his words and bring him glory and praise forevermore. A powerful body able to resist sin and please God. Praise the Lord. And then in verse 47, he says this about the new body. Verse 47 of 1 Corinthians 15, The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The son of man, uh, the second man rather, is the Lord from heaven. He was the man, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made from the dust, as is the heavenly man. And then verse 49 says this, we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. And he's just, it's a little wordy there, and I stumbled over the words, but he's, he's saying that there was Adam, the first man, Christ, the second man, one an earthly image, second a heavenly image, and whose image do you think we'll have in the coming new body, in the resurrection? We're going to have Christ's heavenly image. In other words, we're going to be a picture of Christ. Uh, and... And not so much just the outward look of Christ. We're going to have his spirit. We will be like Christ. I'll be good like Christ. I'll be right with God like Christ. I'll be close to God like Christ. And I'll have his joy and his peace forevermore. A picture of Christ, powerful, pretty magnificent, protected from death, perfectly suited for its environment. That's what it's going to be like in the resurrection. Now, right now, things are pretty grim. This COVID-19 pandemic that's sweeping the world has a lot of people scared to death. And apparently it's quite awful and you should avoid it at all costs. But there's no reason to fear death. We believe in resurrection. Now your soul and your spirit go immediately to be with the Lord as soon as you die, if you're a Christian. And one day in the future, Christ will come and your body will rise again. It happened in the past to Christ. It'll happen in the future at his coming. I don't know where you stand with the Lord today. But if you don't know him as your personal savior, I'm sure that you're pretty uncertain of what happens to you after death. 
you can know for sure that you are safe if you just trust in the good news that the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ. You say, oh, what's going to happen to me after I die? Where am I going to go? You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who loves you, who is perfectly holy and right with God and who came 2,000 years ago to take away anything that would prevent you from going to heaven. He took that all away on the cross, died in our place, was buried and rose again the third day. You believe fully in Christ and he will make sure that you are his, that you are safe, that his spirit is within you and that you rise not only to get a new body but to enter into the pearly gates and walk on streets of gold forevermore. They tell me that way over in the country of Spain, in the town where Christopher Columbus died, there's a museum to Christopher Columbus, and there's a monument to Christopher Columbus. And that monument is is quite a magnificent piece of granite. It's carved to, to hold the earth itself. And then up on top of the earth kneels an image of Christopher Columbus. And he's actually kneeling before what seems to be either God or the Lord or a representation of faith. And, and wrapping around the earth on that monument to Christopher Columbus is a motto. And the motto is, it's in Latin, non plus ultra, uh, perhaps meaning nothing beyond or nothing further beyond. And one would expect that until the voyages of explorers like Christopher Columbus, likely Europeans felt that there was probably nothing beyond. But then, explorers discovered what our indigenous people had known for centuries, <laughs> that there was so much more beyond, and in fact, many of us would argue that that which was beyond is way better, and certainly more beautiful. Well, that monument to Christopher Columbus doesn't just have that motto, nothing further beyond, or non plus ultra there's actually a lion and the lion on the monument is grasping at and eating the first part of that motto the the negative part the non so that the motto no longer says nothing beyond or nothing further beyond the the lion is is erasing that part of the motto so that the motto says further beyond or more beyond and perhaps up until this Easter Sunday you haven't known if there's anything beyond death or you haven't been sure perhaps God's Holy Spirit through his word today will help you take that negative out of your life and rip down that part so that you believe, 
oh yes, there's something more than this life. There's something more than this body. There's more beyond. And we'll all see it in the resurrection. And those who know and love Jesus Christ will enjoy it forevermore. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and have a benediction. And then our church pianist, Mr. Giavino, will play us out with a beautiful hymn. I wish you all a very happy Easter. And I hope for those of you who attend the Sheffield Baptist Church that I'll see you again soon. I love you in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you, and I miss you very much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is more to life than flesh and blood and earth and time. Thank you that Jesus Christ came to not only forgive us of our sins, but give us hope of an eternity with you. And I pray if there's anyone listening today who is not certain of where they're going when they die, that they would trust in Jesus Christ right now. And may they hear that great confidence from Romans 10, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. O Lord, save many. In Jesus' name, amen. The benediction is going to be taken from John's Gospel, the fifth chapter and the 25th verse. Here are the words of Jesus. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Amen.